Hello, Tisha. Hi, Jen. It's Sunday for us while we're recording this. Yeah. It's Thanksgiving it, weekend. It is. It is. Yes. We didn't record when we normally do. And then I had I kept asking to push it because I went to the Lizzo concert on Friday night. And as you can probably hear, still don't have much of a voice. <laughs> Amazing. My neighbor's daughter across the street, she was like, why is your voice all wobbly? And I was like... It's a good way to describe it. It is. I've never had it described that way before. Yeah. The joke was my grandmother, like, years and years and years ago, she was living in North Carolina, and my girlfriend and I drove from Boston down to North Carolina to visit her, and we stopped in Washington, D.C. and spent a crazy girls-in-your-20s kind of night there. And typically when I do something like that, I lose my voice. And so when we showed up at her house, she's like, oh, why do you have such a sexy voice? (laughs) That's not quite what I was going for. (laughs) Sure, Graham. That's what I meant. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. But there was like a lot of singing and screaming and dancing at the concert for sure. It felt like. That's a great reason to lose your voice, Jen, because as you know, at my house, we've all been fighting covid Yes. And it's been super not fun. It's been super not fun. We're not having a good time over here. I I bet. Yeah. That's where we're at. Yeah. I mean, at least you made it up to the cottage, though. Is that a good thing or is that just out of necessity? Yeah. Yeah. Like having to close it up and whatever. Yeah. The water's being turned off on Wednesday. We have to come up. Yeah. And like close it down. So it's been rough because it's a lot of physical jobs and neither myself or my husband are a hundred percent so feeling up to it yeah yeah anyways that's not fun it's not fun we're not having fun we're not having fun but we're on the mend so i've got that going yes (laughs) did the little one ever end up getting sick though nope so that's good yeah. At least you're not dealing with like whiny like kids while you're doing it all. Not that it's good, but it could be worse. <laughs> it could be. You're right. Yes. Although I feel like we always say that you shouldn't say that, but. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't say that it's not fun dealing with whiny kids? No, that it could be worse because like that doesn't make it better, right? Yes. You know, when like something horrible happens and someone says to you, oh, well, you know, it could be worse. I know someone who blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's not helpful. (laughs) What episode are we releasing? We're releasing Janice's episode. And Janice is a friend that I made on Instagram because uh, our husbands actually died around the same time. Right. So we kind of joined the Instagram widow community around the same time. I love her story. It's, I mean, she said love it, but yeah, she merges both of our stories in a weird way. She is. She's like a really weird merging of both of our stories. You know, I don't know. I feel like we walk around and we think like bad things happen to people. And like when a bad thing happens, like another bad thing couldn't possibly happen to them because like everyone's getting their equal share of bad things happening. But that is not the truth of like how things actually work. And I think a lot of widows, especially, you know, if it's a fast or really, I mean, I don't know, I feel like there's always trauma and death, but like it, for the, in the young widows, it seems really common that once you've had this like 
horrible thing, this, this death, this loss, this complete changing of your entire world and worldview, that you're invincible. Right. You you just do. Like, I admit, like, at the beginning of COVID, it's not that I didn't take it seriously, but I was like, really? The universe is not going to, like, make this that affect us that much. And, yeah. I mean, in that case, we have, knock on wood, been lucky, but you definitely, there's this, this sense of, like, nothing's going to hurt me. Right. And that is not the case with Janice, but I love the mm -hmm. humor that there's a whole you know, widows community on Instagram with people sharing content and, and, and education and grief awareness and all different kinds of things. And for me, Janice is definitely up there as like one of the more enjoyable follows in that she brings humor to it. She also, she also like, there's definitely those posts that like hit you in the gut, but she brings a lot of humor to it, which I think is just nice because we, I mean, traumatized people have kind of a dark sense of humor, I think. Yeah, that happens, doesn't it? It totally mm -hmm. does, right? So yeah, it's nice. So it'll be, it's a good one. I'm excited for you guys to hear it and definitely find her on Instagram and give her a follow. And um, another big thing is we have launched, relaunched in a more real way, a merch shop. And we have yes. like, we have 10 items on there, guys. We've got everything from t-shirts to sweatshirts to mugs to notebooks to some stickers, like all different price points. It's yeah. all kinds of really great stuff, designs that we came up with together. And I don't know, little things that hopefully can bring you a little bit of comfort, you know, with no, the notebooks, encourage your self-care, coffee mugs, not a nod to how we came up with the show. Mm -hmm. All that kinds of great stuff. So we would love if you would check that out. And by shopping that is a way that you get something while you support the show. And also until October 15th, if you join our Patreon, like our new member, Dina McRae, you will get a special limited edition exclusive for Patreon members only sticker that reads unstable like my internet. Can I get one? Yeah, I we want get one. them too. And I know it's going on my laptop. Like I already know where I'm putting it because I love this unstable like my internet sticker. <laughs> well, so here we go. I'm going to try to look. I don't know if I can do it while I'm recording. Yeah. So I have three stickers on my laptop right now. All that I got from my favorite store in Toronto, Crying Out Loud. And they sit, one says, it's okay. Another says, be kind. And the third says, empathy is my superpower. So I am a sucker for stickers on my laptop. I also have one of our um, logo stickers that Patreon members also get mm -hmm. once you're a member for three months. So anyway, for $5 Canadian a month, you get video of the episodes. I actually am posting, will be posted by the time this airs, a little thing, part of our an intro conversation that got cut out that... I don't know, I thought it was entertaining. So I'm going to share that video over there too. The video Fun. of our episodes. And then we've got, in conjunction with our upcoming Bad Boyfriend Month, we've got a couple of fun Patreon exclusives from our friends over at I Did Not Sign Up For This. So, Yes. Fantastic. You want to head over there. It's worth it. And 10% off our whole merch site. So there you go. But enjoy this episode and leave us a review if you can. Welcome to the Now What Pod. I'm Tisha. And I'm Jen. We are here today with Janice, who has been my Instagram friend for like, I don't know, 
almost three years probably because I think we're both coming up after our three years. Yeah, I'm coming up on my three years, but I have no idea how long I've known people. Yeah. Our stories are kind of parallel in that we're both widows and that's how we found each other on Instagram. So Janice is a mom of three little ones as far as I'm concerned they're little <laughs> a widow and she lives in Nova Scotia yeah and she is here to share a story with us that is kind of peripheral to being a widow that's not really why we asked her here because you get all that fun stuff from me and we're so excited to have you yeah thanks I'm excited to be asked on a podcast to share a story that's different than my regular podcast story. <laughs> we met on Instagram. She is another strong widow. So she's hysterical and she speaks truth and often in a funny way too. Thank you. It's my post widowhood personality. It's it's not the before me. I'm like totally different. Yeah. yeah that's what happens, yeah. I think. Yeah. But yes, we're excited to have you. So thank you. The way we kind of do it is we just let people start where it makes sense to start and kind of go from there. I don't know where to start. I don't know you and I don't follow you on Instagram. And you said that you have like a, a standard podcast story. Yeah. Um, so do you want the short form of that? Yeah. 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 So I met my husband, Chris, when I was 20. Well, actually, I met him when I was 18 dating when I was 20 and we went to school together university and we were together you know my whole adult life essentially and we lived in the states for a large portion of our time together and we moved home to Nova Scotia to start a family we had our son in 2015 shortly later our daughter and then when I was pregnant with our third he was diagnosed with cancer. It was a terminal cancer. And it was shortly before I gave birth, we got his diagnosis. Then I had our youngest, Mary, and he died five months later. So it was a very challenging time. I'm still trying to process a lot of those six months of his diagnosis and taking care of all of my children. And overnight I became a caregiver to him as well, you know, with a newborn baby. When he died, I had a three-year-old, a two-year-old and a five-month-old. And it's pretty horrific. Well, trying to come to terms with everything that happened during that time period. And to be honest, a lot of it is a blur and I don't remember. I think that's common with a lot of people in grief that you. Yeah don't remember large portions, but I really have no idea how I got through that. And now my children are six, five, and three. And like, that's still very young, but mom, mm -hmm. it doesn't even compare to like, you know, a newborn and a two-year-old and a three-year-old. Like, it's just, it's so much easier now. I just think like, just being a mom to a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and a newborn, it takes a lot to, like, recover from. You have three under three? Like, that's just nuts. <laughs> right? And and then you add that caregiver to your husband and his death and then the grief and grieving children and, like, all – like, I can't. 
I, I can't myself. Yeah, of course not. I don't know. And I'm finally getting to a point where I'm able to look at it from, you know, kind of a different perspective. Like, because I'm now, it will be three years in August. And I'm like, almost looking back on my life as, you know, as a different person now. I don't know how I did that. And in the moment, I used to not even be able to talk about this because I would just like completely break down and start crying. But like in that moment, like my husband was harder to care for than the three of my children put together. And yet, you know, I was still doing all of this. Like, I don't know, like I did impossible things, like truly impossible things. I was doing them like, you know, caring for people, you know, places and that. I, Yeah, it was really horrible. I can't say much more than it was just hard. And I don't know, like, there's no tips or advice or you just do it because you don't have a choice. Like you just somehow do it. Yeah. And, and it was hard, but so many, he's living with a terminal cancer diagnosis and making all these demands, not demands, but you know, like what, what he wants to do for his last summer of life. And yet I have to play out all of these requests. And it all fell onto me on top of trying to save his life. You know, nobody knew he was dying. Like, it just, I don't know. It's its a blur of feelings and emotions. There was no acceptance that he was dying, really. I mean, it was, okay, he gets this diagnosis. He goes into chemo and we're, we're in fight mode. It's, yeah, there's it's a lot to process in a very short period of time that you're unable to process. I don't know if you heard, I was told early on that as parents, there's a lot of our grief that we won't process until the kids are like older and out of the house because it doesn't feel like safe to because as much Mm -hmm. as I don't know about you, but like I let my kids see a lot, but there's still so much that you you're you're just you won't let you can't let them see whether you are trying to or not, you know? Well, I think. I don't even know if I've processed any grief. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's going to get worse. I don't know. It's it's kind of like, well, is this it? Like, it's confusing. It's I mean, there bad. is no guidebook on all of these feelings and when you're going to feel them. And for the most part, I've just been in survival mode. There, yeah. there has been no time to figure. And then, I mean, COVID, you know, a pandemic, right? Like... So yeah, Chris died in August and then it was that March we are into COVID and it's just the, I think any of the processing that I have done is not necessarily grief. It's the trauma Mm -hmm. of those months of his diagnosed period and what I had to go through is very challenging for me to the point that I don't talk about certain aspects of it and still have it but I'm like I'm finally letting parts in you know very slowly in a healing sort of way I guess but no a very like shut off aspects of all of that portion of my life to survive you still have to be a parent I think what's really interesting when I hear of whether it's stories like Tisha's where Tisha was diagnosed with cancer and has been clear. And as soon as she got the clear, everyone was like, yay, party, like, Mm. you're good. And that's when everything, that's when she started processing her things and and processing Mm -hmm. all the emotions and all of it. And then 
when it comes to like being a caregiver for somebody who has been diagnosed with cancer and then dealing through all of that, however long that is where you're fighting it, people don't recognize that there's trauma in those moments. No, and I, it's, I don't think I did until like being there as Tisha's friend while she was going through it. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to be the person going through cancer. And then there's so many other people around who have, they really have no idea. One of my good friends put off coming to visit Chris and he died. And she said, but I thought he was doing chemo. And it's like, well, yeah, but they, like there's there's a misunderstanding or a lack of knowledge in general about what cancer is and the different types of cancer. And it's like this idea of what chemo even is. You know, there's multiple different types of chemotherapy. And you know, his chemo was palliative. You know, he was never going to, it was hoping to extend his life, you know, it was not going to cure him. Right. But that's what so many people seemed to think. There were a lot of misconceptions surrounding Chris's diagnosis that we dealt with. And there were many people who did never came to see and how hurt that made him feel. And then there are many people who regretted that after he died. And that was a awkward situation for me to be in to be that in-between person. I'm sure you got it all put on you, whether it was meant to be put on you, but like you have to like absorb it all. Well, and I mean, I had people come to his funeral who never even knew that he had cancer. I mean, we had a lot going on, you know? He was diagnosed with cancer. We had two young kids and I was pregnant. Then we have a newborn. I mean, there's a lot going on in our house and every other person's feelings and well-being was not our priority. And I had people at the funeral tell me they were upset with Chris. It's, and how hurt that they were, that he died without telling them that he was dying. And it's I mean, just, the audacity. <laughs> I'm just, it's, it really truly made me aware of how selfish a lot of people are. And when somebody is, you know, faced with a diagnosis, all of the comments that come out of the woodwork and the things that people say. So more to my story, 18 months after Chris died, I was diagnosed with cancer and it was advanced cervical cancer. And and I can go more into, into that, but it was like, once again, I noticed the selfishness in people in the Well, you can't die because these are all the things that I want to do with you when you don't die. And it's like, what I want to do when I don't die. It was really like a, I don't know, an awareness moment for me. And I think we're probably all like that to a degree. You know, how does somebody else's hardship affect me almost? But there's a difference between having those feelings and like spewing them out onto the person who's having the hardship. Sure, sure. Yeah, because when someone you care about is going through a difficult time, of course you have feelings about that, right? Yes. Of course you have feelings. Natural, you know, like yeah, you're instantly like, oh my goodness, if this person isn't in my life anymore, then I'm not going to have this or that or that type of thing. But yeah, I, I I think it really just breaks people down 
They're like these primitive like instincts and all the way back to almost like a childhood responses. Yeah. Well, and it's especially like saying things like that when you were dealing with your own personal diagnosis, because mm -hmm. it's like, as a widow, it's like you don't have enough things that you're thinking about with children. Like I, thing I, I'm thinking about is my children. Yeah. That is, I do not care. Yeah, as a it. widow, who's already lost life, has feels like what is even the meaning of living? The only thing that I, you know, am worried about is my children. That's it. Like almost to the point. I mean, I don't want to say like I don't care if I die, but you know. When you're newly widowed and you're facing a cancer diagnosis, the only thing you're living for is your children. Like, it's yeah. truly, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. I also had cervical cancer and subsequently PTSD. And that goes, and like, I think that goes in part with like people not realizing that health crises can be traumatic. Yeah. But I was never afraid of dying that part never really entered my mind for myself it was all about my kids like all of my fears were around my children yes yeah it's hard to explain but I understand what you're saying that like you're just thinking about your kids you're not thinking about your yourself and like there was no self-pity like I was like oh poor me like I could die. No, mm. it was all about my kids. Yeah, that was exactly. the only thing that I really ever thought about. People don't realize, and people do say stupid things. And and some of it, I think, is just, I don't know, maybe I, I give people too much credit, but I think a lot of people become uncomfortable and they want to say something and they don't really know what to say. And mm -hmm. so they end up saying things like, well, you can't die because we're planning, I want to go here with you next summer. There are the people who are like, well, when you're all done treatment, we're going to do this and do this and do that. And I'm like, okay, where are you now? You know, <laughs> I kind of need you right now. <laughs> it's so similar. Like going through cancer has, so I used to like say things pertain to just like the widowhood side of things. Like, you know, people suck. This is how they act. And <laughs> it's surrounding grief, you know, they're uncomfortable, but it's not, you know, now I've had cancer and people do the same thing. It's, it's all hard things. People want to avoid it. They don't want to talk about it and they don't know what to say. And it's, yeah, you lose friendships. They move. It's, it's all the same regardless. Hardship is like hard times and people don't want to think that your life could happen to them. Yeah, absolutely. So can you take us through, so it was like a year and a half after Chris? Yeah, so Chris died at the end of August of 2019. We went into the pandemic in 2020. It's all a blur. And then, so that was 2020 and then 2021 in January, like two weeks into January, I started having some symptoms and I was having unusual discharge, which show was just extremely thin and watery. And if you Google that, it doesn't really come up as a symptom. But once I joined the Facebook groups for... It might have been like uterine cancer, actually, that I joined first because I had clear paps. So, and I just had a baby. <laughs> I had had three babies 
and never missed a pap. And those were all clear. So I don't think my mind went to cervical cancer to begin with, but I joined and I kept seeing people talk about this watery discharge. So right off, I was like, there's something wrong. And I, it was, there was the quantity of it was too much to be something else. You know, the first few days I was like, what is this? What is going on? And then I, I thought my pelvic floor had finally fallen out and I was just peeing my pants, but no, it wasn't urine. And that's when I started trying to get help. And I was told that it was just hormones. I had been through so much. And so I think across Canada, we're having issues with healthcare, but in Nova Scotia specifically, I think it's like epidemic levels, really. There's, so I think we have about a million people here and over a hundred thousand people do not have a family doctor. And my husband did not have a family doctor when he got cancer. And my family doctor had just retired in December and this was now January and I could not get help. The walk-in clinics were not operating in a walk-in fashion because of COVID. I was really struggling to find someone to help me and to not dismiss my symptoms. Now, my doctor was unusual in the fact that she worked, you know, an extra year and a half or so than she had planned to wait for somebody who was moving from the UK to come and take over her practice. And then that got delayed because of COVID. But that woman had not arrived yet or her license had not come through anyway. So I'm still here in this position without a family doctor. And that's what's happening nonstop here is that all the family doctors are of retirement age and we have a growing population and it is just wild. Like so many people do not have a doctor. So it's very hard to get help. So the woman who was supposed to be my doctor, eventually her husband had also been here and saw that I had been to the emergency room and took me on and called me. And I I really feel like you, you saved my life because this was by the time he was getting things done, it was probably about Mark, but I was finally having help. So I ended up calling 911 in the middle of the night in February because I was bleeding so heavily. Shortly after the watery discharge, then I started having blood as well. And then I was having very large clots and they were getting bigger and bigger. And I was told that that was still hormonal and I probably just needed an IUD. And I'd been through so much stress, all of that, right? And hormones are the solution to any women's issue like if a woman is having any type of problem with her health it's hormones it's hormones and we're going to give you some form of birth control because that's how we prescribe hormones yes to help yeah. you no uh, for real but i was still looking at like an 18 month long wait to get that yeah and i was just like beyond myself and i know all of this time i'm telling everybody i have cancer like i And maybe I do have health anxiety. Maybe I am going straight over the top. But like I 
did my research. I'm in all of the cancer Facebook groups. And I'm like, that's me. That's me. I know that I have cancer. I just didn't know it was cervical. So I'm to the point where I'm literally birthing clocks into my hands and carrying them home so I can dispose of them in the sink, like while I'm driving. Oh my God. It was just like fist size clots. And Still, it was normal. Lots of women have bleeding and heavy bleeding in between periods. Maybe I'm like perimenopausal or whatever. I cannot, the clots that I was having, please, like really, is there anybody out there? Like the doctors are telling me it's normal. Like, is there another woman who has bleeding like this? Like, is this actually normal? Because I can't imagine. For me, it was not my normal. I knew that. And so after I had my first son, I needed to be resuscitated. And I woke up in the middle of the night. I was going to the toilet multiple times a night to like pass these clots into the toilet instead of in the bed. And I passed a clot and I immediately like started to like vomit and I was I was passing out. So I called 911 because it was the exact same way that I had felt when I coded after it was like 15 minutes after I gave birth to my son. I like just, my heart stopped and like I I had to be resuscitated. And I'm like, if I had a husband, maybe it wouldn't have been my reaction, but I am, it's like two o'clock in the morning. And you're alone. I have three children who are too young to do anything. I could be dying right now. Like, is I really like, it was just, I don't have a moment to even think about this. If the same thing's happening, after that happened, after I had Lewis, like I need to call right now. So I ended up going to the emergency, called my mom, was like, I just called 911, get over here. And she came and then I went in an ambulance, which was its own set of traumatic, like PTSD type moments after watching your husband leave in an ambulance and lying to my children about it all and not wanting them to see any of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just, it's filled with triggers. And I ended up in the same emergency room that my husband was in when he was diagnosed with cancer. It was like horrible. I'm like, here it is. I'm going to be told I have cancer and I'm dying. Anyways, I get turned away and told there's nothing wrong with me and even told not to come back. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the bleeding doesn't stop. Like, no, it's, there's nothing wrong. And they gave me a referral to gynecology and it was it was going to be like a two-year wait to get into them with the COVID backup and all of that. So finally, I did get this new doctor mm-hmm. who had me immediately in the next day for an ultrasound. And I found out that there was a mass at that point, but I still didn't know any of the details. And I had pieces of tumor falling out of me by the time I saw an oncologist and was diagnosed. And he didn't even need to like look to tell me I had cervical cancer. So I had a tumor that was nine by seven centimeters, like so large hanging off the end of my cervix. It was like falling out of me and pieces were falling out of me and nobody that had examined me up until that point had seen it. And I strongly feel like they saw my anxiety and my panic and my widowhood instead of a massive tumor that like I could feel with my fingers. (laughs) Nobody would listen. Mm -hmm. And 
here I am. I think there's also just like such a lack of training around women's health. Yeah. So many stories like mine that it's like really angering and frustrating. But funny enough, it was the women who just seemed to dismiss me more than the men, to be quite honest. Well, women aren't taught about women's health either. Like, it's not just the men who aren't learning about it. Yeah. Women aren't even taught about their own bodies. Like, Tisha has girls, and the part of your private parts that kids touch and talk about, everybody calls it a vagina. And Mm -hmm. it's not a vagina. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's so it seems laughable that it's your vulva, but it is. I've caught a lot of flack for teaching my kids that it's a vulva. This is like why Jen's bringing this conversation up. Like my children call it their vulva. Yeah. And because that's what it is. But I think a lot of people don't even teach that it's called a vagina. Oh no. Which is crazy. It's called some like nickname. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So if we can't even talk about it in our home, it's like it trickles down, right? So if you can't talk about it in your home and women go all this time without even being able to like refer to things properly and then they end up working in an ER Mm -hmm. or whatever, even if you've been through all of your training, which is lackluster anyway in that area, they don't even know their own bodies. Yeah, yeah. You've got the whole other issue of, you know, wait times and not being able to get in to see a doctor and not having a family doctor. So you don't have someone that you're consistently seeing who knows you. And I mean, there's so much, there's so much going on here. I was dismissed so many times by people that I often wonder like what the outcome would have been if I wasn't a widow. Because there is a fire in me because of my children that it's like, I think as a mother, when you're in that busy, you know, like my husband's alive, we're working, we've got these young kids, you're just going and mothers never really prioritize their health or put themselves first. And I'm not saying that I do that much of a better job (laughs) now, but it's different. Like I am so aware in every feeling and every thought it's like maybe there's something wrong with me and I'm a heightened awareness about my health and instead of just brushing off those initial symptoms probably nothing and probably gonna go away I advocated and I never stopped and when they told me my cervix looked normal like that I'm in the emergency room I came there by ambulance And I'm like, what? My cervix looks normal. Are you like, for real? You don't see anything. And I requested an ultrasound as well, actually, and was denied, which I'm angry about. I'm angry about it all, but it's kind of in the past a bit more now. But yeah, there was no reason to give me an ultrasound because there was nothing wrong with me. But I mean, I knew I didn't leave there feeling relief. I left there thinking... I don't have cervical cancer. I have something else. I knew there was still something wrong. There's a lot of similarities in our stories. My cancer was earlier than yours, mm-hmm. but I had some symptoms. Dr. Google, I was like, I have cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. I made an appointment right away. I'm driving to the appointment. I call my husband. I'm crying. I'm like, I'm convinced I have cervical cancer. I was freaking out. And he's like, 
you know, you're not supposed to look on Google, blah, blah, Mm. blah, which is true. And I went to the doctor and he looked at my cervix and he was like, your cervix looks perfectly normal and healthy. It's similar to you. I had had children, like my children were two and four when I was diagnosed. So people had been up in my business Mm -hmm. and I'd had my pap smears and all of that. He sent me for an ultrasound. Actually, nothing showed up on the ultrasound. But he, my pap came back abnormal, but not, it wasn't showing that I had cancer. Mm -hmm. So could be anything. But as soon as I got to a gynecologist, she took one look at my cervix and she was like, there's something on your cervix. But I'm like, but I saw my family doctor two weeks ago who told me my cervix looked perfectly normal. And I've had pap smears that were perfectly normal. So how do you go from having normal paps to cancer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the gynecologist didn't want to comment on perhaps why my doctor hadn't seen it. She's like, well, you know, I don't want to, I, I can't say I wasn't yeah. in the room, but I'm like, they just don't know. They just don't know. Because I had two growths on my cervix. They were both over a centimeter. One of them was two wow. centimeters. Like, they were there. They were visible. She took one look was like, so there's something on your survey. So it's just, it's interesting. I was like, how, how do they not know? And I think, you know, they just, they don't know. And also I think being a young woman in good health, like I'm in my thirties, I'm healthy. Yeah. I don't smoke. I'm not, you know, I don't do drugs. I'm average weight. Yeah. So I think I like come in and I have these symptoms and I appear to be healthy in their mind and live a healthy lifestyle. So they're like, oh, there can't be anything wrong with you. And you do, I guess, like you do have to kind of fight. Yeah. I mean, how many times had I had like people up in there while I was, you know, having my last child. So that would Mm -hmm. like... I don't know. They say it's super slow growing and like should have been something there. Maybe they didn't see it, but the woman in the emergency room just didn't examine me properly or didn't even look because there's no way you don't see like, you know, like a ball like this big cervix. Like it's it like she just didn't examine me. There shouldn't be something that size hanging around up there. I could feel it. And it got that it was like I have pictures of chunks of tumor in my hand. Like, oh my gosh. Like, I, sorry to like, no, no, on your podcast. No, that's okay. Like, like, what is wrong with people? But just more so, like, why is no one listening is the thing, right? Because I was a widow. (laughs) I don't know. I know it's like women's health in general, but like, I kind of, throw that widow card in there. Well, I'm a hysterical widow. Like you're a hysterical widow and you're a cancer widow. So obviously you're going to think everything is cancer. And yes. what do you know? And just being in the emergency room was like, I presented as a very high anxiety patient in that time. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. I can't even imagine. Obviously you're going to be 
anxious being back there and thinking that there's something seriously wrong with you. I thought I was relieved that I was finally going to walk out of there with the answers that I had been dealing with for, I don't know, this was like, well, I guess it was only like six weeks at that point or so, you know, it was the middle, it was February that I went. Yeah. So it hadn't been that long at that point, but I was like, finally, I'm going to have answers. I'm going to walk out of here knowing like what is going on. And I'm going to be told I'm dying. (laughs) But at least I'll know. But it was still, yeah, nothing's wrong with you. You are just crazy. (laughs) And then, you know, the other component was I just kept being prescribed anxiety meds. And I ended up needing three blood transfusions. I was at the point where I was like, I don't care about cancer. Get this pain in my chest gone. Like, and they're like, oh, we'll deal with that after we deal with the cancer. And it's like, I can't take this feeling in my chest. And it was because I was operating on half the normal amount of blood you're supposed to have. And my heart was literally beating out of my body. So once I got a bunch of blood transfusions, like that pain went away, but nobody listened to that symptom either. That was just anxiety, right? It sounds like anxiety. You would have reason to be anxious. But it's also like, you know, I was having major health issues and I'm trying to keep up with three kids. I'm exhausted, but you would expect that you're grieving. But it's like, literally, I was getting to the point where I couldn't walk up the stairs. And so after I had my son, I had lost so much blood, I couldn't even walk for like a week. And I wasn't allowed to go to the bathroom. I wasn't allowed to shower. I wasn't allowed to do anything. And I was operating at less blood than that on a daily basis, taking care of three kids before I got diagnosed. I mean, it had been more gradual, like a drop in blood. So I was accommodating for it. But like I, I had just bought a skipping rope and I had all this plans because I'm like, I can't do anything. I am so out of shape. This is so bad. I was like, what is wrong with me? I can't even walk up this hill. I need to do something about this. And then. And I kept telling people that I was sick. I didn't feel well. I was like, there's seriously something wrong with me. Obviously, if something is wrong with your body, it feels like having some sort of anxiety about that is a natural byproduct. True. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So why are we just dismissing that when we know like it feels like people are finally starting to maybe not in the medical profession, I don't know, Mm -hmm. like recognize that anxiety is a, a legitimate thing. But why can't we look at that and make sure that there's nothing else going on that's maybe causing that anxiety? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but like kind of how like anger is a secondary emotion, right? Maybe anxiety as it relates to your health could be like a second, I don't know. I don't know anything, but I just, it's like really frustrating that you can just dismiss what turned out to be something seriously wrong with you health-wise. Well, I can even go back and like talk about my husband in definitely like, you know, the four months prior to his diagnosis. But I mean, if I wanted to stretch it out, I could probably go back like a year or two. He was a different person. So he had very advanced cancer when he was finally diagnosed of the bile ducts in his liver, cholangiocarcinoma. But he had so much stress and anxiety in his chest 
and like a depression and like this feeling like he started taking Ativan all the time. Like it's just so not his personality. He was the easygoing life of the party. I'm the anxious person, <laughs> but he changed his demeanor so much. And he was always, always uptight and impatient and had anxious feelings in his chest. And he was telling doctors about that. And one of the first questions that he asked all of like the oncologists when he got diagnosed is, is it related to anxiety or can it make my mood different or nobody cared. They're like, I don't know. Like, cause doctors, it's like, I'm a liver specialist and I look at your liver. Like there is no bigger awareness about your body and how it operates. But I mean, he most definitely had changes in his body other than just physical as a result of the stress his body was, you know, under before he knew he had cancer. Cancer, yeah. So I mean, anxious. It it makes sense, right? It's all connected. Yeah. Yeah. But doctors don't look at it like that at all. Yeah. Specialists and they don't even care to make those connections that we can sit and obsess about. <laughs> Where does your health stand now? Good, but like, just wait and see. So after I got my diagnosis, I not, was not eligible for a hysterectomy because of the size of the tumor. And everybody had assumed it had spread based on the size. It was one of the largest tumors they had ever seen, but it did not. So that was fantastic news. I could not believe that it had not spread into like the vaginal wall or lymph nodes or any of that, because I was convinced it was in my lungs. I was like, I'm done. I'm I can't breathe all of the, that anxiety, but no, it's my pet scan was clear in all other places in my body, which was also like, here's my health anxiety speaking, but you know, like I don't have brain cancer. I don't have, you know, all these like other things that you could other have things had. that yeah. you worry about. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, mm -hmm. at least, and then I'm also like, well, you know, if I had something starting somewhere else, the chemo would have taken care of that. And it's like all these, like, that's where the mind goes. Like for me, it's, oh, anyways, I don't know if that's everybody, but I, I did chemo. I did 25 rounds of external radiation and then brachytherapy, which is internal radiation. I did four of those, which is pretty, pretty nasty. And I've had follow-up scans that still showed residual tumor but radiation works after you finish treatment it's still working so maybe it's gone now visually everything has been looking better and better as I go every it was like every six weeks now it's like every 12 weeks and I actually canceled my appointment to go away to PEI <laughs> last last week or whatever so next week I have an appointment but I expect good news, but it's just kind of a wait and see. So I just right. passed one year since I finished treatment, which is like a big milestone, but two years is the really big milestone. So they say there's like a 50% chance of recurrence within the first two years, but like as the further you get out, the less that is. So, you know, maybe it's only like 25% now or something. I'm not sure, but it does go down the further yeah, you get yeah. out. Yeah. So. We will definitely be thinking of you next week. And I super yeah. wish you good luck at that appointment I hate those appointments yeah I hate those appointments <laughs> and I've had lots of good news 
but every appointment is just, I think I'm fine until like, I'm, I'm like, sometimes it's the night before, sometimes it's on the drive there. Sometimes it's when it, when it's get, it get, when I'm actually at the appointment, but I'm always like the last appointment I had, I was like, I'll go by myself. I don't need anyone to come with me. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just sitting there by myself going, why am I doing this alone right now? Yeah. Why didn't I ask somebody to come with me? Like, yeah, yeah. We recorded an episode with someone named Jen. What do we call that? I think Jen it was Green. like Jen's story of trusting her body. And your story has so many elements of, of hers, although in her case, she actually had suffered a heart attack. So, very different medical situation but similar in the sense of just not not feeling heard and being dismissed by the medical profession and yeah we need to do better I don't have a solution really I'm not a doctor but I think it's important that we have these conversations and raise awareness and like let other women know that sometimes you're going to be dismissed just because you're a woman and sometimes you're going to be told your issue is hormonal and if you aren't buying it speak up speak up you need to fight and I think it's very difficult for a lot of women to do that because well it's like against how you're taught to be as a girl and a woman well as a girl and you're supposed to like respect the authority of the doctor and the doctors like know everything so if the doctor says it's fine then you're fine right (laughs) Like you're not supposed yeah. to question the doctor. Don't mess with a widow but, with young kids, though. Yeah, yeah. it's that it's true. Like, yeah, exactly. It's there. She's not another strong widow for no reason. Oh, <laughs> she, she proved it even together. more though. She had that before this though. <laughs> right. I mean, my symptoms did get pretty extreme, but otherwise, I think I would have just like dismissed things a lot easier than. I did. I mean, I, I didn't stop. I didn't even, you know, second guess myself once. It was like, no, somebody needs to listen to me. I need to be get to the bottom of this because I have kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is no... There's no one else. There is nobody else. Yeah. It's the friggin' middle of a pandemic. And I don't even know what to say because it was just like another bump in this life. Like, I'm still very much in the widow community. Like, sometimes I feel like I can't necessarily even I don't know relate to the cancer community that's on Instagram you know even though I'm very much a part of it mm-hmm. or even like within the cervical cancer community like I went through a lot more than many of these people I don't mean I went through more but like my treatments were more invasive but like I don't I don't relate to it I'm just it was just so insignificant compared to your husband dying mm-hmm. like, So many people talk about it being very traumatic. And I mean, yeah, it was. But You were already traumatized. Walking into chemo (laughs) was not traumatic because I had to get chemo. It was because I said, oh, hey, nurses, guess what? I'm back. For me now. Exactly. And being like, the first time I had to walk in there, they tried to sit me in the chair that my husband had sat in his life chemo and I was like no my shit but it's like that's what the trauma was about not because it's like I've already been we had this whole other layer going on it's 
Yeah, I don't know. And then like so many people talk about the internal radiation. It is, it's extremely invasive. It was having it the second time I went was more painful than having a child, which I did unmedicated. I mean, like there was, it's very traumatic in certain ways. But you know what? I loved every minute of lying there in a hospital bed away from my children being given drugs. Like as sick as that sounds, it was a friggin' vacation. Like I know that sounds horrible, but it's the only time I've been away from my kids since I had them seven years ago. Definitely was like there were times in the pandemic that I was like, maybe I need to get COVID so that I can go stay in a hospital and someone will stay with them. I think that. So I can imagine how that would have felt that way because especially from the relentlessness of a loss and grieving and parenting, grieving children and doing all, and having kids as little as yours were to then being told you have to isolate with them to then finally, you know, it's this horrible thing that you're doing, but it's quiet and nobody is bothering you. But, and there's not even any guilt. Yeah. Sure, I could go to a I hotel to room, but I would feel guilty about not being with my kids or I'd be worried about them or whatever. In the hospital, yeah. I literally had these like rods stuck inside of me. I had to lie flat on my back. You could not move for like, I don't know, a day and a half. It was painful. I had like a constant morphine they were giving me. Mm-hmm. and But it, like... It was great at the same time. Like it was horrible, but it was you know, like so many people just talk about how traumatic it was. And I mean, I, I just, I, I was already trauma- you were traumatized. Like, I was traumatized. Mm-hmm. You couldn't do anymore. I'm just like, I give up kind of at that point. Like it could get worse. So the first time I went, so they have to put you to sleep to insert the radiation rods and stuff like that. And I was full-blown panicking about it because my husband had been intubated and in the ICU for 13 days before he died. And I could go to sleep, but for some reason I didn't realize I had to be intubated when I was put to sleep until I just didn't make the connection until before. And I was a mess over it. So that was really challenging for me, like that side of it. But then when I finally got to leave the hospital, they were like, they had to kick me out. Like, cause (laughs) yeah, I'll go and roll over and go back to sleep, have a nap. (laughs) I promise I'm calling somebody to pick me up. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a mess. Like it's crazy. And I mean, I did it all by myself. Because whoever was extra had to take care of your kids. But even during COVID, you yeah. couldn't have an extra at yeah. certain periods of yeah. all of that. Like I didn't, couldn't have somebody come to chemo with me or mm-hmm. nobody was there when I got my diagnosis. So I was just there alone. And I go home to my kids and be like, yeah, mom, I got cancer. You know, like yeah. when I say those things out loud, but I'm, maybe I am affected by it, but I just bury it. But I'm not, I'm just like, whatever, another crap thing to the pile. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's it. I think when you've been through as much as you have, if you mm-hmm. haven't been knocked down yet, you know, like it's not going to knock you down. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're unaffected. I just think it means... You know, I'm I'm dealing with some more pressing feelings, emotions, things in my body right now than this. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and either it will kind of fold in with all of it or it'll come up for me some other time. Like I just 
Yeah. I don't, I did cry. I know I cried once, but I never cried about it. It was just like, are you kidding me? Of course. This is actually happening. Yeah. Because I can remember what's her name, like the enlightened widow. There's a few other widows, right, that have cancer or have had cancer. And I can remember talking about them to like my sister and being like, oh my God, like, can you imagine, like, how is this possible if this happens? And then it's like, surprise, it's me too, you know? It's- and then it happened to you. Yeah. You're like, oh yeah, this really can happen to like real life people. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, it's such a layered story and I think there's so much that somebody could kind of glean from it all, but specifically on the medical side of it for you personally what what would you hope that somebody would take away from it like obviously they're not going to have that same fire that you did from being a young widow widowhood there. But yeah but like how you know how can we maybe help someone channel that if they don't have that well i think one thing to the cervical cancer like awareness side of things is that a negative pap does not mean that you don't have cancer or cancerous cells Yes. True. I I saw a statistic recently. I don't know. It might've just been for the U S but it was something like 33% of cancer diagnosis had like clear paps. So it's, and it, I mean, like I'm running in the cervical cancer circle. It's so many people have the same story. So, I mean, I was like, they were like, well, you have cancer. And, and immediately I said, but my pap, was clear. You have to realize that a pap is just a very small sample of cells and it doesn't really mean that you're cancer free from that, or, you know, don't have precancerous cells. That is doesn't that... mean don't get a pap smear. <laughs> no. And what I'm going to get the pap smear <laughs> is that no child or family member of mine will be going every three years or whatever it is now. Yeah, three years. They change it from every year to every three years. Hell no. Hell no. Not a chance. So my mom actually had precancerous cells and had a leap procedure. So that's just, yeah, like cut off, you know, a part of the cervix. And they told her she was good to go every three years even. And it's what? No, like no way. So my sister now is like, going every year. I don't know. So not saying go against the medical system, but there is no way I will ever return to three-year PAPS. And I wouldn't recommend that for anybody because I had been doing it. I had one with each of my pregnancies. So that was less than three years or whatever. I had like three kids in three and a half years. So I had to have I had like three paps in like four years and they were all fine. So, yeah. yeah. I used to get them every year because that's what it was. And then you started yeah. getting them every three years as long as you've always had clear paps. Yeah. I had always had a clear pap. So when they changed the way that they fund pap smears because public health, then I was going every three years, mm-hmm. even having said that it's interesting because that I three years prior had a clear pap because I actually probably had precancerous cells that were not picked up. 
And I also had had a child in that time. And I remember the gynecological oncologist was like, we're not looking like she's like when you are giving birth like you think we're looking at your cervix we're not we're not really paying attention we're not looking for cancer because I'm like how could this happen like how did nobody see this she's like we're not we're not looking she's like yeah like our hand is in there and we're feeling for the opening of your cervix like how dilated you are but we're not actually checking you for but cancer like, or actually looking at your cervix well, but when you go to I'm the like, you er and you're cervix, bleeding like crazy and you're asking them to look they should at least look yeah really right and they didn't for her so like well they did but they didn't they see didn't anything. really yeah yeah <laughs> maybe they didn't really i'm like you didn't look well enough <laughs> but like even when okay so maybe they're not looking for cancer while you're giving birth but like i had people like you know, we all get what the GPS swab and yep. whatever else. I can't even remember. <laughs> it's been too long. People are up in there before and in- after you're actually laboring. Exactly. That's my point. Like they are looking at the health of that area while you were pregnant. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. But I also think that mine was not as slow growing as they say it feels like it couldn't have been if it was that big that's what i like yeah i mean it it was massive it was massive like the size Mm -hmm. of a plum bigger yeah 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 and i mean like how did nobody see anything if it was as slow growing as they say it is how did nobody never see mm-hmm. you know, anything in all of that time? Like, I think they say it takes five years to go from precancerous to cancer cells. And then, you know, once it's like cancer, I don't know, a long time. And then, but I, I here's a whole other theory, but I think grief caused mine, you know, almost like, not even so much grief, but that period of time that my husband was sick, the mm-hmm. extreme stress that that was caring for him and mm-hmm. the children. I think that my immune system was completely shot. I wasn't, I don't think I slept for six months. You know, I took care of people all day and then all night I was at the computer trying to cure cancer, earning my like honorary PhD in cholangiocarcinoma I swear I know more than his oncologist did I I was exhausted and I I kind of believe that that was the opportunity that those cancerous cells cold and that it rapidly multiplied which also could be backed up so nobody thought that I would respond to treatment in the way that I did and my tumor also shrank very quickly so the and the quicker something shrinks generally the faster growing it was you know like those cells are rapidly dividing okay so they're killed just as quickly or they can't divide anymore once you start radiating it and killing those cells so i mean i just it's all a theory but like i really do grief and widowhood played you know another layer aspect into Mm -hmm. into Mm -hmm. my cancer diagnosis potentially 
Like, well, I mean, I don't know if you've ever, I remember seeing at one point on like International Widow's Day or something, yeah. like that being a widow, being widowed is one of the most stressful things. It's it like is the stressful, stressful thing that yeah. you can ever go through in life. Yeah. And I mean, there have been studies at what stress can do to the body. The last episode we released last season was with a woman who was talking about mindfulness and, and ancient wisdom and meditation and, and her mom's Lou Gehrig's disease. And I don't remember what book it was that she referenced where there was a whole chapter on how, because her mother lived with trauma too, mm-hmm. and then how that can contribute to something like Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, yeah yeah well there are there are studies too like you know there's a higher the widowhood effect right the higher incidence of death you know after becoming widowed and there are studies and the higher risk of accident you know a car accident you know that stuff kind of you know you can see how that happens that makes sense you know like you're yeah but there are also statistically you're higher chances of getting cancer, higher chances of heart attacks, all of those, all those things. I mean, so that, that is fact, or, you know, that has been proven in studies, but I mean, it's not just like for us too, widowhood isn't just the highest stress. I mean, you get points for every one of those along there. So Mm -hmm. having a child is stressful. You know, we we Mm -hmm. But a house, that's a stressful event listed yes. on there. Illness, you know, like all of those things. So, I mean, in my case, and I think many of our cases, I mean, widowhood wasn't the only stressful event that you're going through at the same time, right? Yeah. Add mm-hmm. a lot, a lot to that, the stressors of life. I mean, job, like my husband obviously was no longer working once he was diagnosed. I stopped working to care for him. And it's just like on and on and on, right? Like there's so many stressful events to all that. So yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know if it caused my cancer, but I am really interested to know, like, so cervical cancer is usually caused by HPV, the HPV virus. Mm-hmm. And which probably grows in stressful situations when your immune system is suppressed. Well, yeah, your, your whole body is vulnerable. Well, many yeah. people have it or have had it, and it usually takes like four years for your body to clear the virus, but it can just lay dormant in you as well. Mm-hmm. And and then in stress, like it can take hold at you know any time in your life. It can be years later, and then you can develop cervical cancer from that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And another thing that I think people need to be aware of in Canada, I think we are making changes to this, but it's different in every country. When you have a pap smear, you are not tested for HPV. So it's um, a different test. It is a different test. It's not even available where I am. So here in Ontario, you can get one, but it is not covered by OHIP. So you have to pay for it. Okay. And here, after I got my cancer diagnosis, I said, so this was caused by HPV. And he said, yes. I said, well, are you sure? And he said, yes. I said, well, how sure? You know, I want the 100% sure. I want the test. We can't test that here. Like, I think it's changing, but I, so, I mean, yes, we can assume because 99% of, you know, I think it's 97% is HPV related, but I don't actually know if that's what caused mine because I have never had an HPV test, 
Which I also didn't have the test because they told me that I already had cancer. She's like, you don't need the test. I know you have HPV. You have cervical cancer. But you don't know. But you don't know. But that is actually what I was told by a gynecological oncologist. Yeah. 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 So I kind of had a similar similar conversation with gynecological oncologist. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Interesting, isn't it? So... Yeah, but I know that I think in the UK, they also test HPV. So they're like, I could be wrong and it's changing all the time. And when I quote stuff like this, people like attack me. But I think it's like, there's, so they've gone to like every three years. I think they're actually petitioning because they were going to every four years, but they test HPV every, every time you have one. So if you're HPV positive, then you go to every year. Or something. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Which, which would make sense. Which would make sense here too. Yeah. I think in the states you can get HPV tests as well. I don't know. It's different everywhere, and then people like if I say something, they it's different even with different provinces. Provinces, yeah. It's yeah. becoming more common here though, the HPV test. Find out what it's like but, where you are, wherever you're listening yeah, from. That's just. Yeah. FYI, this is like simple women's health that I had to get cancer to learn. Well, and also, I mean, just in case, like we're going to be, I'm going to be like really on the nose here, but advocate for yourself. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's the moral of the story here is never stop. If you, your, your life, you will save your life. You know, like it seems time and time again, you must advocate for yourself. Yeah. Like, I don't think, and same thing happened with my husband. Like, I don't think he would have even received treatment before he died had we not. It's frustrating because it's exhausting. And, but you have to, you really have to, or find, or, or find somebody who can do it for you. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Janice, for coming. It was lovely to talk to you. Thanks for listening to the Now What Pod. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. You can find us on social media at the Now What Pod. Until next time, we're Tisha and Jen. Remember, your story matters and you do too.